you're listening to the GP Soccer Podcast with your host, Giovanni Puccini. Today's GP Soccer Podcast is brought to you by the DiBernardo School of Soccer, Yanni Training, Project Goal, My Soccer Advocate, and GP Voiceover Services. You're listening to the GP Soccer Podcast Season 4 Special Series, The State of the Game, an in-depth look at the current status of the game across the United States. So, are you folks ready to make some saves today? Are you ready to pull down some crosses, maybe uh, face a breakaway situation? Well, I hope so, because today's conversation on the GP Soccer Podcast uh, is all about goalkeeping. Giovanni Pacini here, uh, welcome you, welcoming you all back to another uh, episode uh, dealing with the state of the game. Uh, we've got a great guest today, uh, Phil Wedden, who is the goalkeeper coach and director of goalkeeping for the MLS Philadelphia Union. He's also the owner and director of GK1, as well as the International Goalkeeper Coaches Conference. So it's uh, all goalkeeping today. And no, you don't have to make any saves. You can sit comfortably in your chair, wherever you happen to be, and, uh, and just enjoy the conversation. Um, it's a, it's an, a broadcast. It's an episode I've been looking forward to, uh, to uh, you know, getting out there to all you folks because um, you know, it's, it's a very, very important conversation about arguably uh, the most important position on the field, that being the goalkeeper. Uh, he and I get in some, some great conversation, uh, not the least of which is uh, some of the, the great goalkeepers that have uh, graced uh, the United States, uh, folks like Casey Keller and Tim Howard, Tony Miola, Zach Thornton, uh, and, and the new, newest crop, you know, Zach, Zach Steffen and our very own Matt Turner, goalkeeper for the New England Revolution. And uh, let us not forget, uh, you know, great uh, women, women goalkeepers such as Hope Solo, Brianna Scurry, Ashlyn Harris, uh, Alyssa Nair, and the list goes on and on. Um, we've had some wonderful goalkeepers on the U.S. men's side as well as the U.S. women's side. And uh, so we get into that conversation. We get into the conversation about, uh, you know, the state of the game relative to American goalkeepers. Um, so before we dive into that, I want to kind of digress for a half a second, um, and uh, that being last season, season three of the GP Soccer Podcast, uh, I hosted a gentleman by the name of Leeton St. Clair, Leeton St. Clair, and I have brought this up on a couple of occasions. I want to put out a friendly reminder again. Mr. St. Clair uh, is the manager of the City Boys Football Club down in the country of Belize, and uh, I spent an entire program chatting with, uh, with Leeton. Uh, learning about um, the, the soccer community in Belize, but more importantly, uh, the challenges they face in terms of just, just securing getting uh, soccer equipment, in particular soccer shoes. Um, he, he speaks at length, um, and you'll hear it if you, if you listen to the broadcast, about you know, kids playing barefooted or sharing of shoes or in the middle of a game, you know, a kid running to the sideline because his sh- shoes have, have blown out. Uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a it's a tough a tough situation down there uh, in Belize. And um, the show was meant to not only highlight you know what's going on in Belize in terms of the soccer community uh, and highlight the challenges they face, but hopefully to inspire my listening audience to uh, contribute. Um, you know, uh, as you very well know, if you're if you run a, so- a soccer club or a youth soccer organization, or you're a family, you got kids who play soccer. You know, kids outgrow things, um, and too often they're kind of you know tossed by the wayside or thrown in a box in the basement or in the attic. And um, but here's a wonderful opportunity for your organization 
to maybe rally the support of, of those folks who are involved with your club or your youth soccer organization to uh, contribute uh, to the City Boys Football Club in Belize. Uh, it would be a go to a great, great cause. Uh, all the details, I'm not going to go through it all here again, but all the details can be found on that uh, broadcast, on the GP Soccer uh, broadcast uh, podcast uh, that took place last season, in season three. Uh, and so wherever you, you download, wherever you listen to the show, just go back to last season, you'll see um, you know, the, the episode that features my conversation with Leeton St. Clair. So hopefully uh, that re-inspires folks to um, want to contribute to the, to the uh, folks down there in Belize. So again, today's uh, guest is Phil Wedden, uh, goalkeeper coach and director of goalkeeper for Philadelphia Union. We're going to dive deep into goalkeeping uh, with some great conversation uh, right after these commercial messages. So this is Giovanni Piccini. This is indeed the GP Soccer Podcast. Uh, the state of the game continues. We'll break for a couple of commercial messages, and we'll re-engage with Phil on the other side of the commercial. Don't you dare go anywhere. What if there was a training method that was designed to revolutionize the sports landscape? One that encompasses more joy, peace, and love by showing athletes, parents, and coaches how to take greater responsibility for the development of healthy individual and cultural identities. Well, that method is what Yanni Training is all about. Through their workshops for youth and professional soccer clubs and through their two revolutionary guidebooks, On Frame, Exploring the Depths of Parenting in the World of Youth Soccer, and The Coaching Revolution, an interactive guide to finding joy and excellence in coaching, Yanni Training can help raise your awareness of the deep issues in the profession and how they affect your coaching experience. It's time for our culture to acknowledge that soccer is a deep experience for all of us. Go to yannitraining.com. That's I-A-N-N-I training.com to find out how your club can solve some of the most profound problems in youth sports and return to playing soccer with joy and excellence every day. Are you a player or a parent of a player who is passionate about playing soccer at the collegiate level but don't understand the process of where to start? Don't have enough time to spend researching? Don't understand what coaches are looking for or at what level your child needs to be playing at? What about academic and social environments, admissions, financial aid? So much to consider. Well, you're not alone. My Soccer Advocate is your go-to source in finding the support and guidance you'll need to sort out this challenging process. My Soccer Advocate will help parents and players minimize the anxiety about what to do and arm you with the knowledge and support to give players and parents the best chance possible of reaching their dream. Our goal is to provide personal service to make your life easier. Youth soccer and club organizations can utilize My Soccer Advocate services, particularly when your coaches or administrators might not have the time or the connections in guiding players and parents through the college search process. Your players and families can then feel they are getting the needed support and a full package of service out of your organization. Contact My Soccer Advocate for a free consultation at info at mysocceradvocate.com and visit on the web at MySoccerAdvocate.com. Hi, this is Bill Steffen from Wingate University and United Soccer Coaches. You're listening to the GP Soccer Podcast with host Giovanni Puccini. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the GP Soccer Podcast. I am your host. You know who I am. I am Giovanni Puccini. Um, the shows so far relative to the state of, of the state of the game have been fantastic, as you now know, if you're a regular listener. Uh, to my show, and in particular this season, we've had a 
an array of guests um, that have run the gamut that have so far given us a really, a really nice feel for the state of the game in the areas of which these people, uh, these, these folks represent. Today's guest is, is really special because we're going to talk about the, the position of goalkeeping. Uh, we're going to talk about the American goalkeeper, you know, of past, present, and, and, and future. Um, our guest today, as I noted to you in, in, in uh, more detail, is Phil Wedden, who currently serves as the goalkeeper coach and director of goalkeeper for the MLS Philadelphia Union. Phil is also the owner and director of G, uh, GK1, as well as the International Goalkeeper Coaches Conference. So, Phil, welcome to the GP Soccer Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to spend a little time with you talking about goalkeeping. Well, we'll be two goalkeeper junkie nerds here and uh, talking, about, talking about the position that we, uh, that we both enjoy. We both enjoy. So here's how I'd like, how I'd like to start, Phil. I'm always curious um, as to people's stories um, in their youth, you know, uh, where they played, um, you know, any role models they might have had, any, any heroes they might have had in the game. Tell the story, tell my audience, share with my audience very briefly the, the kind of the Phil Wedden story as a player uh, up until the point where you, you become a, a working soccer professional, if you will. Well, I mean, I, growing up in England, everyone, you know, your dream is always to play professionally. Um, and I, I was never really good enough to make it um, in the, as, as a full-time professional, let's say, you know, I, I had uh, a bunch of trials. I was always um, there or thereabouts. Um, I did play a, a few games for Swindon Town. Um, but again, as I, um, I signed for them in a, in a sort of non-contract basis, um, and they had the England under-21 goalkeeper at the time, so there was no chance that I was going to move any further there. Uh, signed for Cambridge United. Um, but again, they had a goalkeeper on loan whose loan wasn't taken up full time. So then um, you, know, you, you start to look around and say, OK, well, uh, I'm not making it a, as a first choice goalkeeper in the, the lower leagues. There's there's very little chance for me to um progress as a as a professional in a, in the in the same way that many people look at a professional soccer player these days you know you're not going I'm not going to make a ton of money I'm not going to enjoy the lifestyle of uh uh re really really doing four or five jobs to make ends meet um so I decided at the time that um I was going to stay in America I did fly back from America to, for another trial um, and had to make a choice whether to stay in America or or go back to England. And at the time, I decided to stay in America. I played for the the New York Fever in the A League just before the MLS was started. So uh, in 1996, the MLS started. In 95, I was playing for the New York Fever, uh, which actually most most of the people like Tab Ramos and Peter Vermees and and the, and, the, and the now coaches. Uh, we're playing in the, actually tables on our team, so uh, you know they're playing in the same same league. Um, but then I, I actually, so I, I really wasn't good enough to be uh, to say I was a full time professional. And as you as you know, uh, everyone who comes across from another country proclaims to be, uh, oh yeah, I had trials at Man United and this that and the other. But no, that that's not the case. Um, and then actually, I I. In training one day, I, I, I jammed a finger 
and it, it never got better. And I was, I was uh, told that I had a tendon disease in my hands, which obviously isn't good for a goalkeeper. So uh, I, I ended up having surgery once every two years for about, uh, actually about a decade. Um, so uh, I'd say around 1995 is when I really seriously uh, put on the put on the coaching hat and recognised that I w- was not going to be uh, a successful professional goalkeeper. So from the get-go, as a as a youth player, as a child growing up, you you were always the goalkeeper, or were you, did you find yourself on the field? And then, for for whatever reason, you gravitated toward the goal. Or had you always been had you always been a goalkeeper? No, it's funny. I, I actually I can remember that I can remember the day. <laughs> so that sounds quite ominous. Um, I was actually in a PE class, and um, the PE teacher stuck me in goal because I was a little bit taller than most people, um, which I I still am, I guess. Um, and I remember, I remember this. I even remember the player who took the shot. This this guy called uh, boy at the time called Robert Winch took a shot, and he was one of the best players in our school and all that kind of thing. And I, uh, I, I sort of just jumped up, tipped it onto the bar. Um, it came back out, and he smashed it in the back of the net. And the, and the PE teacher said, "Oh, you know, you looks like you've got some uh, potential there." And then from that point on, I just sort of stuck stuck as um, stuck as a goalkeeper. That's always a curious part uh, of the, the question when I ask, you know, did you always start as a goalkeeper? I mean, my story, I mean, I grew up as a field player, you know, but coming from an Italian family, I was a field player. But uh, growing up here in the United States, uh, here in the Boston area, uh, during the era of which I was playing, uh, particularly back in the 1970s, I'm going to show my age a little bit here, Phil. Um, the Boston Bruins were big and hockey was big. Um, not only was I a, a youth soccer player growing up as a field player, but I was a hockey goaltender. And oh, okay. from the get-go, in, the, in hockey terms, I wanted to be the goaltender. Um, and it wasn't until later in life, I was actually in college, where I said, you know what? And I was a starting central midfielder in college. My, my goaltender roots from hockey then uh, urged me and pushed me to become a goalkeeper in soccer. And as they say, the rest is history. Um, that, that, that period of my life as a hockey goaltender served me well. I played very, 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 very briefly in the MISL, um, and, and enjoyed most of my time, you know, playing indoors and of which a lot of that hockey stuff kind of resonated. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'm always curious as to, you know, when I talk to goalkeeper folks, did you start in goal or did you come from the field and, and move, uh, move toward the goal? So you, you, you come to the realization that, you know, I'm not going to be a player. Um, so now the mindset changes, um. Talk to my audience now. Now you're an adult. Talk to my audience about the genesis of becoming a working soccer professional. Obviously, it's a, it's a it's a challenge, and, and it's something that we all go through. Um, the you know I, what I tried to do was, I, I mean, my background was in in coaching. Uh, I, that was part of my degree for when I was at college in England. Um, so co- I, I, at the time, I, I actually had um, coaching badges were really big back then. So, you know, you, you wanted to have as many coaching badges as you could. Um, and I had I had these qualifications in a lot of different sports. Um, so it, coaching was a passion of mine. Um, I ended up um, in Connecticut, actually. So 
after after doing summer camps and things like that. I ended up in Connecticut and I and I worked with uh, Dan Gaspar and I worked with Tony DeChico um, and I and I start and I, I really got a passion for seeing seeing the young children be successful at what I was trying to show them. Um, and from from there, I sort of got some other opportunities, and, and I ended up as the the goalkeeper coach for Southern Connecticut State University. Um, and the head coach at that time was Tom Lang, and he was a new head coach at, at the because Ray Reed had gone to UConn. Um, Tom had come in, and uh, we we had a, a really really successful period where actually we. Um, won back-to-back national championships at Division Two, and and then uh, other opportunities started to open up. And one of the assistant coaches, uh, Ken Pollard, got invited to um, be one of the assistant coaches for the then Metro Stars. Um, the the new manager Octavio Zambrano was looking for a goalkeeper coach, and I was one of four or five goalkeeper coaches that he brought in on trial. Um, and the, the trial just <laughs> turned into a position. Uh, and at the same time, funnily enough, I was doing my U.S. soccer licenses. And um, a gentleman by the name of Peter Meller that many people in, in goalkeeping certainly know, um, who is uh, who I credit uh, almost entirely for my development as a soccer professional, um, he was the instructor on my A license for the goalkeeping part, and uh, I, I guess I, I did well on my I did well in the goalkeeping session. Um, he liked what I did, and he said, "Would you would you be interested in joining our instructional staff?" So this is sort of going on at the same time. We you know I, I was at Southern Connecticut taking my licenses, uh, and at the A license um, a couple of weeks after that, actually. Uh, Peter said, well, why don't you come to uh, Chula Vista? I'm going to be working with the, uh, because this was in 2000, uh, I'm going to be working with the uh, Olympic team. And that was Brad Friedel and Tim Howard uh, for, I think it was the Sydney Olympics. Um, and And I was on board to go and do that. And then I get a phone call from Peter on actually Christmas Eve. Um, of 1999, he said, "Hey, uh, you can't come to you can't come to San Diego. Um, would you want to go to Australia?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Hold on, what do you mean?" He said, "Well, the women's national team, because Tony DeChico, uh, may he rest in peace, had just uh, just stepped down as the manager, the head coach of the women's national team, and they were looking for a goalkeeper coach to." Uh, work with the women's national team at the Pacific Cup in Australia. And um, needless to say, I didn't go to San Diego. Um, uh, I did go to Australia. And, you know, one thing has sort of led to another. And, and I've been very, very fortunate. Um, and, and as you know, uh, my, my feeling is that life is about opportunity. And sometimes you create your own opportunity. Um, and there's an element of luck in this, uh, obviously, right place, right time, and so on. Um, but it, and it hasn't always been very easy. That you know, like many people, I have. I mean, at one point, I was coaching at Southern Connecticut. I was working in a soccer shop, and I was trying to do camps and clinics 
at the same time. Um, I had a young family, uh, so so I've been there and done that, and it, and it does take does take an awful lot of sacrifice. Um, but at, at the end of the day, I'm very very thankful that I took the opportunities that came my way, and I'm very very thankful for the people that gave me those opportunities. Um, you know, Peter Meller was really uh, the catalyst for some of it, and then I was fortunate enough fortunate enough to work with. Uh, April Heinrichs, um, who gave me an opportunity with the women's national team that I, I'm forever going to be thankful for. Um, and then that led to the men's national team and, and, and so on. Um, so, uh, again, might be right place, right time. But, um, uh, again, I'm exceptionally fortunate and exceptionally thankful to, for the people that have helped me along the way. You know, Phil, that's always the underlying premise of the questions when I asked my guests, you know, growing up, and then the second part of the question, you know, how did you become a, a, a professional working, uh, a working soccer professional? And the common thread, and you hit it, you hit it so nicely, um, you know, right place, right time. Uh, but maybe more importantly, are, are the folks um, who help you along the way, who, who become mentors and who open doors for you and provide the appropriate you know, inspiration, motivation to to go to the next level or to go here, whether it's San Diego to Australia, for that matter, um, that allows you to land in places where where you're at right now. And that's always a fascinating part uh, part of the story. So uh, I appreciate you sharing that with 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 the audience. So as you know, uh, the theme of season four of the GP Soccer Podcast is indeed the state of the game. So let's let's kind of dive into this a little bit. So uh, share with my audience, in your opinion. Uh, I guess, kind of in a historical context, the, the significant changes that, that took place, not only for the goalkeeper, but also the implications of how the, the overall game was played relative to the changes that took place from the goalkeeping position. Now, again, I'm a little older than you. I, I go back to the days, Phil, when, you know, you, you, you know, you, when you had possession of the ball, you could take the, the four-step rule, and you had to bounce the ball, and you could distribute it to one of your, your, your teammates who could then give it back to you. You could scoop it back up. You could bounce the ball, take your four steps. Yeah. And that was a, you know, a, a featured, and I put that in big air quotes, featured part of being the goalkeeper. Um, in your opinion, what are, the, what are some significant moments in the position of goalkeeping that change and then by association uh, change the way we, we play the game of soccer as a whole? Well, I think you just hit the nail on the head there. You know, I, I remember those times as well. Um, where the ball could come back to you and you could pick it up, and then uh, and then obviously the the, the back pass rule um, when that, when that came in, uh, we all had to change, players, coaches, everyone had to change, and uh, it's got to the point now where you know the goalkeeper has has to be a field player first. So you say you you grew up being a, a midfielder, um, people like Hope Solo. Hope Solo was. Uh, in fact, she may still hold the the goal scoring record for Washington State, uh, for the state of Washington. Um, you know, Tim Howard uh, is another one who was was a field player and started late in the goal. Um, you, you look at look at way that the look at the way that the game has evolved um, from, as you said, very rarely passing the ball um, with our, with our feet anyway uh, to to now playing with the ball at least seven more times in a game than we do with our hands. Um, so so it, it's even more prevalent now that the goalkeepers have to be uh, 
a, a field player first. They have to be efficient with their feet. I mean, if you look at the the, the trends in in the game, um, and, and we go back obviously a, a few years now where the ball the game was a little bit more direct, um, and it was a little bit more combative in the final third where the ball was just lumped in, and you you know so the goalkeeper goalkeepers were asked to play the ball long. Um, quite a lot, and and some still do, depending on the coaching style and and, and time in the game and all that type of thing. Um, but now, but now the the goalkeeper is absolutely the eleventh field player. I mean, obviously we initiate the attack whether whether it's with the hands or with the feet. But we're if you watch, um, you know, our men's national team now with with Greg Berhalter, uh, they're playing out of the back a lot. Um, if you if you turn on the TV. So almost any league around the world, the goalkeepers are heavily involved in build-up, um, almost to a, almost to a fault at times, and we and we do see quite a large number of goalkeeper mistakes with the feet. So, you know, as the game has evolved, the goalkeeper now is actually just a, a field player who has the luxury of using his or her hands, uh, and that's that's been. That's been the overall overall um, evolution as we see it at the moment. Let's tie in the following point slash question uh, to your point about you know the, the the goalkeeper using their feet. And I'm going to tie it in. I want to kind of dovetail it with the goalkeeper coach. And I believe Phil that these two things are inextricably connected. That being, the goalkeeper coach is a soccer coach first, who is responsible for the the training and development of goalkeepers, and obviously by association, uh, the goalkeeper is a soccer player first, as you noted, who is responsible for the position of goalkeeper. So t- tie in, you know, the, the point you made about the goalkeeper using their feet as it impacted um, the role of the goalkeeper coach. Yeah, I mean, when, when you go back a few years, obviously, uh, and it, all you need to do is go on Instagram or YouTube or whatever, and you'll see uh, millions of highlights of flashy saves and, you know, uh, diving over, around, through things which may not be necessarily applicable to the game. Um, but the in-possession, we, we, we spend so much time, and we did spend so much time as goalkeeper coaches working when the goalkeeper is out of possession. And by that, by that, I mean the other team has the ball and we're dealing with shots, we're dealing with 1v1s, we're dealing with crosses, whatever it may be. Um, in the last, I would say in the last 10 years in particular, and even more so in the last five years, goalkeeper coaches have had to, we've had to evolve. The game has evolved, we have to evolve. Uh, and we need to spend a lot more time with our goalkeepers working with them in possession of the ball, um, whether it's playing out, building out, or initiating the attack in different ways. So our training environments have changed, or they should have changed. I'm not going to say they have, because obviously there are, there are people that still do the same things. But co- as goalkeeper coaches, we must be able, and I, I love what you said about being a soccer coach, coach first and a goalkeeper who who specializes in goalkeeping. Um, we've got to be able to coach both sides of the ball. And there are some great coaches out there that spend so much time uh, with the shot stopping and everything else that when the, when the goalkeeper is actually playing the game, 
the only time they're really playing with their feet is maybe the day before the game and the game itself. So my, my, my view of the goalkeeper coach now is one that we must make um, our training environments more complex. We must have multiple decision-making elements. And one of the decision-making elements that we must employ in our coaching methodology is what does the goalkeeper do when she, he or she receives the ball? Um, when you look at some training sessions, goalkeepers make a save, they hold on to it, and they toss the ball aside and then get on to the next ball, that, you know, try and make the next save. Well, I don't know that in a game you catch a ball and just toss it to the side. Um, so, so it's something uh, as goalkeeper coaches we must start to look at more and more is the in-possession side of the game because ultimately, ultimately, when you get to a certain level, most goalkeepers can make saves. It's what they do with the ball after they've got possession that really, really matters. Um, and, and as a success story, I guess you'd say, uh, you know, you, you look at Zach Steffen, um, who played for Columbus under Greg Berhalter, um, and now he's, you know, he's playing in the Premier League for Manchester City because they play a similar style. He's able to play with his feet. So, so again, our evolution as coaches has to be um, that we deal with more complex situations involving a lot more in possession. And does that necessitate the need, uh, and I emphasize that word need, to have, have active players involved in at least a good portion of the training environment for the goalkeepers to serve what you just described? You know, I, sometimes we don't have that luxury. Uh, I would love to say that in my environment, I can use field players, but uh, truth be told, that, that doesn't happen. So we have to, you know, that, that's the ideal scenario would be to, you know, you do your work, a little bit of work in isolation, then you involve small, um, you know, perhaps some small group work use, using field players and then they join the rest of the team and it's, uh, you know, you go into a large-sided environment. But unfortunately, that doesn't happen. So our goalkeepers, um, many goalkeeper coaches, uh, are club goalkeeper coaches where we would go to uh, one club and train the goalkeepers once a week for an hour or twice a week for an hour. You certainly can't do that in those environments, or or it's very challenging to do that in those environments, um, because there's so much that we need to cover to try and help the young goalkeepers develop. Um, if, if you have the luxury of using field players, that would be ideal. Yes. Um, Is, if not, we have to try. We have to try and create scenarios. Hence, and, and agree or disagree. Hence, the goalkeeper given the fact that the coaches oftentimes do not have the ability uh, or opportunity to have players, is said training environment, is said development stifled? Uh, is said training or development shortchanged because of that? Um, I, would, I would say that, quite honestly, um, Co goalkeeper coaches and, and the expectations placed on the goalkeeper coaches by parents and such, is, you know, we, we need to be very, very careful about what our expectations are of a goalkeeper training session. So um, when, when you go out onto, uh, you know, 
Sarah or or Fred come home and they're caked in mud and and they're you know they or they get to the car they're caked in mud and they're breathing heavy and that constitutes a good training session, um, you know, to, to a lot of people because they have worked hard, uh, and that's not necessarily the the end or be all of goalkeeper training and goalkeeper coaching. Um, a lot of goalkeeper coaches will focus on that because if the you know it's a business it's a business and if you if you work hard if the players work hard if the goalkeepers work hard then at the end of the day um people are going to be impressed by that and want to use them more and more etc cetera, etc cetera. when we make the we make the types of saves that a lot of coaches focus on maybe once every two or three games um the pro the problem is or or the challenge is rather creating situations and training sessions that involve a lot of foot skills may to some people uh appear not to be goalkeeping specific when actually in in you know helping them with their decision making and cognitive development is massively important even at a young age because we have to be able to play the position um, one of the other challenges, as you know, uh, and I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to try not to get on, on the soapbox now. Um, but Please. that's why you're here, Phil. Of, <laughs> the, the lack of goalkeeping education for our coaches is also playing a major part in a lack of development of our goalkeepers. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that go hand in hand. Um, but really for, for goalkeeper coaches, we must stretch ourselves. We must become uncomfortable, um, by trying new things and, and trying to replicate the game as much as possible in the environments that we create. So I want you to hold that thought relative to licensure certification because one of my talking points is indeed that, and it's got a little star next to it. Uh, so we will uh -oh. definitely tackle that. So I, I want to share with you my my underlying premise. I don't want to sound kind of evasive or or sneaky there, but, you know, but probing with the use of players. Um, and I want to kind of tie that in. What I'm trying to get at here is is, is method. Um, as you all know, our, our our friend, God rest his soul, Tony DeChico, developed what we now call the DeChico method, where the methodology was was pretty much threefold. It was it was coach goalkeeper, and then coach goalkeeper players, and then coach goalkeeper team. And Tony was of the ilk uh, that that you needed players to create scenarios that would then you know replicate you know would happen in in the game. Quite frankly, I, I kind of abide by that. Um, you know, in in the real game, when you when you lace them up on Saturday and you step on the field, there are other players involved. Henceforth, training environments should replicate that. Uh, and I understand. I'm sensitive to the points that you made about you know you may be in an environment where you don't have them. Uh, I, I understand that. Um, so let's, that's a long way of me saying about talking about methods. Right? So I mentioned the DeChico method. Share with my audience some of the other methods by which we can train and develop our, our, uh, our, our goalkeepers, all the way up to the most advanced uh, levels. And I'm talking about the use of technology, like, say, sports code or, or dark or something like that. Um, let's have a conversation about methods of training and development of the goalkeeper. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have different methods of training, and I think it's important for for goalkeeper coaches to 
identify what their method is and, and what they're looking to achieve. If you, uh, one of the most famous goalkeeper coaches in the world is Franz Hook. Um, Franz, uh, his, his methodology is very much training the goalkeeper within the team. Uh, uh, almost 100% of the time, if possible. Um, again, that, that do, for me, um, th there has to be some training in isolation. Um, so we, we work on, on certain techniques. Um, but how we do that is, is massively important. Um, too, too much of the methodology that we see involves a scripted service. Um, so the ball is coming from here, it's always going to be going there. Too much of the stuff that we see is coming from volleys. Uh, I volley the ball at you, it comes from my hands to my foot to your hands. Um, when, when the path of the ball in the game doesn't actually do that, or very rarely does that. So um, with, with the methods you have at your disposal, Again, my my thoughts would be that uh, as a, as a goalkeeper coach, you want to replicate movements and actions that you see in a game. Um, you want to increase decision making and cognitive development by creating more random scenarios. So when you, you think about the methodology of coaching, a lot of goalkeeper coaches will say, "Well, today we're working on one v ones." And the three times, the three types of 1v1 saves are before the shot, during the shot, and after the shot. So first we'll work on before, before the shot is taken. So we're coming out and we're winning the ball before the field player has taken shot. All right. And then we go through all the progressions and it's a sequential progressive session. And at the end of the session, we say, Oh, Sarah, Sarah did really well at 1v1 today. So they go. They go out of the session feeling great about doing 1v1s, but they haven't had to make a decision. You know, All I, they've had to do... Go ahead, sorry. No, 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 no. C finish your thought. So all, all they've had to do is go from simple... To an idea of a training session, um, as defined by, by U.S. soccer over the years, is simple to complex. So the complex part of the training session should be that we get into a game type scenario if if possible um so the decision making component of the session would be the last 15 minutes um if if that uh if 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 a goalkeeper coach has that time the methodology that i've adopted and, and yes, I'll, I'll get on to te uh, technology and things like that in a moment because that's that's become a critical part of our environment. Um, is it, and again, uh, I'm fortunate enough now to be working with professional athletes. Um, the ball has a so the, the the methodology is the ball has arrived here in the goal area at this point. What are the potential actions that the field player might might take? Therefore, what are the potential actions that the goalkeeper may have to perform? Um, so it's a very, it's a more randomized and less scripted situation, even to the point where the only time, um, and one of our goalkeepers gave me a, a massive uh, sort of backhanded compliment not long ago, uh, the only time they see volleys 
from my hands is on game day because it's all about them and what makes them feel comfortable. Um, and and one of the goalkeepers said, I'd forgotten what a volley looked like. Uh, so so that to me was a massive compliment because if we're just volley, volleying the ball at a goalkeeper all the time, they do the same actions. They're not making decisions. They're not making catching decisions. So coming from the ground, they actually have to make technical decisions and execute technically, even as simple as that sounds. The difference between a volley and a ball struck off the ground. Um, so, so in the methodology around the world, and you're seeing it more and more, um, we we do go simple to complex. But now I would say that the methodology in a, for a lot of different goalkeeper coaches is environmental. The environment goes from simple to complex. So the environment might go from the ball arrives here. Um, there are no other runners in the box. This this player can go left, right, center, do whatever he or she wants. To there are multiple runners in the box and a defender, which a lot you know when we don't have players to use, we often use mannequins because they're about as useful as defenders sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and we create the environment that now the goalkeeper might have to make multiple actions. So in that that in that methodology, I feel like there's been a tremendous shift, at, especially at the higher levels of the game, um, because the time that you get to work with your goalkeepers is so incredibly valuable. Allow me to echo to my audience, and I apologize for for almost repeating what you just described. Because I'm a firm believer in, in creating scenarios that are true to the game. I know in my role as a coach educator, we're not at soccer coaches when, when we're delivering uh, goalkeeper courses and we've got coaches out there who are setting up some, you know, some nice scenarios and, and, and their sessions are well thought out and they look good on paper. Um, and they get out there and they start, as as you described, you know, balling out of their hand or, or, or scripted. And, and funny, I use the same word. It's, it's just a scripted service. And I will stop and I will very nicely ask. Does, does that actually happen in a game where someone's going to stand there with the ball in their hands and serve it that way each and every time? And the obvious answer is no. So to echo your your observations there, echo your sentiments, indeed, we have to replicate, even in the realm of just servicing the ball to get something started, is it something true to the game? And again, I apologize for echo, echoing that, but, I, but for my listeners, I think that's super important. Um, that, that you create those environments, you create those situations, even, as I said, even if it's just to start the delivery of an, of an activity, um, if you will. Um, we mentioned technology. Uh, I mentioned a couple off the top of my head. Could you share with my audience some of the more advanced things that you're doing relative to technology? Because as you know, technology has found its way into pretty much everything. Um, so how are you using yeah. technology uh, in your role as, as a goalkeeper coach? So every one of my sessions is filmed. Um, and at, at the club that I work with at the Philadelphia Union, we have a, a software called Speedio um, that is basically remote cameras that are dotted around the training facility. So they pick up everything. Um, we have a video analyst uh, who also places uh, a camera behind the goal uh, because I don't always train in the same spot. And if I take the video from a distance, I don't I don't get the fine details. And at the level that I'm working at at the moment, the fine details are what makes the difference. Um, so 
the goal is placed behind the camera, it streams directly back, uh, so it's available immediately after the training session. Um, our video analyst also has uh, an iPad, um, and, and we can pull that instance up immediately uh, during a session if we want to. I don't do that because I don't want to interrupt the flow of the session, um, but at times when the goalkeepers rotate with the team, they have asked to see a certain instance. Um, I also take my own camera out, so we film from two angles, one from the side, one from behind the goal. Um, when I get back into the facility, um, I immediately clip the speedio version of the game, uh, of the session. So, and I identify it down to the individual. So if there are three goalkeepers training, there are three, you know, they, they each receive on their phones, they each receive sets of clips every, uh, almost every day, almost every day. Uh, some, there are some days that I don't share clips and those are typically the first first day after a long break or um, I mean that, that's I suppose that's really the only time the first day after a long break um, but they get the, they get I, I clip the game I clip, clip the session per, personally um, and send it to them immediately so by the time they've done their post training work um, they've already got something on the on the on the film oh, sorry on their phone uh, from today now what they do with that is totally up to them. Um, but if there are talking points throughout the session, uh, I do a lot of coaching in the flow. So if there are talking points during the session, um, I will highlight that in the in the film uh, that is given to the goalkeepers. Um, and then, as I said, I film from the side as well using another camera. So I'll, I'll take that footage um, and compress it myself and clip it myself in using sports code. And then... Um, I'll either send it to the goalkeepers or, or I will speak to them the next day or later in the day um, with with certain instances that I wanted to look at. So we're using technology every day, whether it's uh, the video analysis. Um, I also do a statistical breakdown of games so and followed with video of games as well. So... Uh, and that's just simple using Excel spreadsheets and things like that, marking the number of touches in different ways and then creating graphs to show um, their, their progress through the game um, and then comparing it over the course of time. So you, so we get uh, an idea of the goalkeeper's overall performance and the actions that the goalkeeper is consistently performing um, within league play, which is, which is actually quite interesting. So... Um, my my philosophy is that I'm going to provide the goalkeepers with the resources they need to be successful. If if they use them, wonderful. If if they don't use them, wonderful. As long as they're successful, um, I, I don't want anyone to ever be able to turn around and say, "Well, you didn't provide me video. We didn't give you didn't give me this opportunity because I didn't see it." Um, so it, it does take long hours, um, but I feel like it's part of our. Um, part of our job responsibility. I also log all our training sessions. Um, my process is that I write the training session first because invariably it changes. Um, you, you might tweak an exercise or add a progression somewhere. So I write the exercise. Then I come, uh, after I've done the video, I transcribe that the, the, the session using Quick Tactics, which is a, an online session planning platform, a cloud-based one. 
which is absolutely fantastic. Um, I use that. That's what I use, um, and I log our, our sessions that way as well. So I also have a history and a library of the sessions that we conduct. So, uh, so our sessions are videoed. They're uh, they're stored on a Speedio platform. So I have every session from 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 the year, from the season, and I have a digital record of the sessions that have happened uh, using a session planning software. So it's. Uh, uh, it's all technology now, Giovanni. It's all technology. Indeed it is. Uh, and, and that opens up a, a whole other conversation for, I guess, for another day. How much is too much? Um, yeah. You know, I, circle back a little bit. Uh, share with my audience you mentioned about data you track via the use of spreadsheets. What, what specifically are you tracking and assessing that subsequently becomes a part of a spreadsheet? Well, uh, again, one of the things that I was looking at, and it, and it helps us base, uh, you know, look at our training sessions as well. Um, when you look at a game, um, I log the actions that the goalkeeper does in the game. So, again, I'm working with male goalkeepers, so I'll use the term he right now. Um, so, so the goalkeeper, um, I, I write down a, a number of categories. So it's... Uh, in both in possession and out of possession so saves saves and collections i count as one so sometimes you know that ball rolls into the area and the goalkeeper uses his hands so i i i count that as a, a save or a collection um 1v1s crosses uh short range passing long range passing goal kicks free kicks um through balls uh, so I, I i do a running tally through the game so it's not not fancy at all. It's a piece of paper and a pen, and I, I tally it as I'm going through the game. Now, you have all uh, when you're out there. Uh, if you search the internet, there there are a number of companies that have unbelievable statistics, and we're provided with these statistics after the game as well through uh, uh, the MLS uses Opta. So we have these great stats and everything else, um, but they I'm looking at it through my eyes. So I'm looking at it, you know, my my short range pass is not the same as their short range pass. My long range pass, I'm that they they count is it successful by do we retain possession? Uh I count is it successful by is it put in a place that we can retain possession? If the field player takes a bad touch and we lose possession, it's not the goalkeeper's fault. Um so I collate that, uh, you know, in a nice, uh, just a piece of paper. Um, and then I go and I plug it into a template that I've made on, uh, Microsoft Excel and, and produce graphs. Um, and I send that to the, the coaching staff and our sporting director because I think it's important for them to know how the game actually breaks down as well for the goalkeeper. Um, and it does impact our training. Uh, I think you know many coaches come to a training session saying this is what I'm going to work on today, um, but they haven't actually watched a game and they haven't looked at what the game has told them. Uh, uh, for, for example, for example, uh, um, we went um, Philadelphia played LA in March, LAFC. We flew out to LAFC, and obviously LAFC are a fantastic team, and we we drew th three three. All right, so it's three three. Uh, our goalkeeper had a good game, um, but one of the goals 
came came from a corner kick. So we, we got scored on from a set piece. It was headed straight up in the air. Uh, the goalkeeper came and punched it, and then it was smashed in the goal. So um, I, I was looking at that as two things. Number one, how many times do we train that ball basically coming straight down on top of the goalkeeper, going straight up and straight down? We And I was like, oh, we very rarely train that. So uh, we, we certainly hadn't trained that in the week prior to the game, which might be a reason why it wasn't dealt with appropriately. Um, and then I looked at, uh, in that game, and as I said, LAFC is a very good team. They had 10 corner kicks. The only time the goalkeeper saw the ball from a corner in the week prior to the game was in the previous game because of the philosophy of of, of the coaching staff about having combative corner kicks. So the goalkeeper went a week without seeing a ball come from that area of the field. So again, the, the, the statistics and the, and the information you gather just by watching the game can often ju- just provoke thought. It provokes thought. Uh, and um, as I said before, I, I don't believe you can hold people accountable for information you haven't given them. So from my point of view, I looked at it as my failure as a coach because I hadn't trained, hadn't given the goalkeeper the information maybe uh, through a training session dealing with as many corner kicks or balls coming from that area of the field or balls coming straight up and down. So again, just a simple tallying type system of of goalkeeping actions can greatly impact you as, as a goalkeeper coach. Indeed, game, games drive training sessions, whether it's the goalkeeper or the, or the team. Games that you have just come off of and games you are preparing for. And certainly if you're in a position where you have comprehensive scouting reports and you have videos available to you in terms of preparation, those real games are what's going to drive the training environment. Um, I want to touch upon one thing and then I want to move on uh, relative to technology. A lot of my audience, Phil, are youth coaches. They're club coaches. Um, they may be mom and dads are, that are coaching. Um, we talk about video technology. Uh, technology can be a useful tool and technology can be a dangerous tool. And I want to make sure that the, that the folks out there and particularly the youth soccer community, the club community that are, that are listening to my conversation with you, uh, they don't run off and get a video camera and they've got, a, you know, an 11 year old and they're <laughs> videotaping training sessions and they're videotaping games. And well, I heard Pacini and Wedden talk about this on the podcast. Share with my audience the appropriate use of video specific to the uh, the developing goalkeeper. I, I think we've got to be very, very careful um, about working with video with, with the youngest goalkeepers um, in, in the youth environment. Um, many, many times... And I mean this in a, in a constructive way. Many times, video is used to point out failures, and we're human beings, so we fa- so we fail. That's that's part of who we are. Um, so we're using it to point out um, how how we can be more efficient in our movements. How we you know so so corrections um, with with young with young kids, you know, eleven year olds, twelve year olds. Um, I'm not so sure that we need to uh, to show video of uh, of them not being successful, of them potentially doing something embarrassing. 
because we also need to understand the, the development cycle um, and the social cycle of the young people that we work with. So using video and, and invariably when, uh, I mean, just look on Instagram, you know, people, people post all sorts of videos on, on Instagram. Um, and, you know, I hate to say it, but, um, you know, kids can, kids can also be vicious using, using video. So, um, I would say for the, for the young developing goalkeepers, uh, anything I would say under 14 where, you know, I, I wouldn't use video unless, unless it was, um, just an iPhone video or iPhone, Android, whatever you have, a, a, a video of uh, a quick instance in training and see when you move your foot this way, this is what happens. So it's a positive learning tool. Um, again, uh, I, I just, I just feel like we overuse video. Um, video should be something that we use to complement our our environment not use instead of our environment so as coaches we should be able to provide the feedback to the players uh, especially the young developing players as they're training um, maybe if you wanted to use video you could send them clips of uh, a male or a female goalkeeper who is well known doing something that you asked them to do so they see how uh, a high level goal goalkeeper performs those actions. Uh, I, I just think that sometimes we open up a can of worms when we start talking about video with, with younger age groups. That is terrific advice. Ter hence my asking the question for, uh, for you to elaborate on. So let's stay within the, the, the realm of youth coaches. Uh, again, a, a large part of my audience are, are, are youth coaches. Um, so what, what is your advice for these folks on how to best serve the aspiring youth goalkeeper? Um, you know, and, and I'm sure you get this question as I do. Uh, at what age should a young player begin to specialize as a goalkeeper? I love that question. I, th I think, you know, because I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer. Um, if, if someone is passionate about being a goalkeeper, let them be a goalkeeper. Um, and again, uh, from a coaching point of view, we, need, we must integrate the, the foot skills part of it. Um, so um, they're developing as a player as well at the same time. Uh, if you have multiple people who want to be goalkeepers, rotate them, give them a shared experience on the field and in the goal. So, uh, you know, you, you're developing a game sense and a game awareness as well. So um, if, if you had to nail me down and say, when should a goalkeeper specialize? I would say when they go to the full-size goal. So when you're playing in a full-size goal, um, you know, and you're dealing with a full 18-yard box, that's the time that goalkeepers should begin to specialize. Um, if, if you look at some of the other goalkeepers um, that are a little bit more famous, I think uh, I think Tim Howard was 15 or something like that, and the same with Hope Solo, when they specialized at becoming a goalkeeper. So... Um, you know, give give the goalkeepers a shared experience so they, they know what it's like to be a field player. Um, and sometimes they're not going to want to. And if that's the case, for me, that's totally fine. If they're passionate about uh, wearing the gloves and they love the colourful jersey and things like that, let them, you know, let that be the case. 
Now, we might need to supplement with a young child. Um, we might need to supplement what they do with different activities. And this is something for the parents as well. Um, you know, we might need to, if they're not as active as a goalkeeper, we might need to, you know, adapt other activities so they, they get a little bit more of a physical uh, exertion. But, I, I, you know, uh, as far as specializing, I would say when they go into a big goal. You know, Phil, I, I remember having a wonderful conversation with the late, great Tony Waiters, um, who, who had an early impact on me uh, when I became a, a coach educator in, in, in this realm of, of goalkeeper training and development. And I, I remember him talking to me, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase here, about young kids, uh, what he called, he called, referred to experiencing the goal. And what did that mean? That meant, you know, putting kids, uh, young kids in these fun activities where they just kind of were rolling around on the field, on, on the ground and batting the ball away and no formal training, no, you know, nothing elaborate, but putting them in an environments where, you know, the, these would be true goalkeeping experiences. And in his mind, uh, it was almost like planting the seed. Now, a kid may thoroughly enjoy, you know, rolling around the ground, trying to, uh, you know, make a save or, you know, uh, uh, playing a game where the ball was just kind of being batted back and forth. Maybe, maybe that someday, you know, that, that young person might lead to becoming a goalkeeper. But I was fascinated by that, that thought process of planting the seeds for young goalkeepers to, quote-unquote, experience the goal. What, what is your thought on that? I, th I think that's fantastic. Uh, you know, one of the things, uh, and we had this discussion, um, I had this discussion actually yesterday with, with Andrew Sparks at Southampton. Um, we talked about the academy and, and and even lower than younger than the academy, and what are the priorities when you're working with young children? And when you're working with young children, um, we have to take the pressure off of the position, um, and that that's why uh, we we as coaches and we as parents must understand that goalkeeping is going to be a lesson in failure, and how you manage that because ultimately, if the ball goes in the back of the net goalkeeper hasn't done his or her job and that's that's the that's the crude way of looking at it if you like so we as we as coaches and, and parents have to cultivate the fun aspect of goalkeeping the fun aspect of the position develop and cultivate a passion for the position and, and one of the things that um i, I spoke to a, a u11 coach the other day uh, and he was saying I don't have a goalkeeper. And I said, well, have you thought about um, having the goalkeeper coach do a session where everyone is a goalkeeper and, and come up with, as you said, some fun fun games, some fun exercises. Team handball is a, is a very, very simple game that we could do to ident potentially identify someone who has some hand-eye coordination and who might be able to don the gloves for for a half of a game or a period of the game uh, um, so creating a fun fun experience for these young goalkeepers they might actually say you know what i really enjoyed that can, can i can i look into this can i do that again um and i think that's that's a great you know and, and tony waiters may rest in peace was obviously very very instrumental throughout for, for goalkeeping education in different parts of the world. Um, uh, so very, very sound advice. 
Yeah, he was, he was terrific. And, you know, I'm going to digress for a little bit here. My, my audience, I think, is already going to know what I'm going to bring up because it is something that is near and dear to my heart, something that I take very seriously, not only in terms of our conversation here relative to the training and development of goalkeepers, but training players and developing players in general. And that is the idea of fun. And I'm so glad you brought that word up. I, I Every time I, I, I carry on a conversation with a guest and, and when that word comes up, I, I jump on it. Um, you know, and, and when I talk about fun, again, my audience is going to know what I'm talking about. This is not talking about you know, being a goofball or telling jokes. I refer to it as an infusion of joy. And that effort, that, that idea of infusing joy can come in a variety of ways. Um, and I think in terms of uh, young up and coming goalkeepers or someone you maybe try to plant the seed, if you can infuse joy into the environment, my goodness, who knows who the next great, never mind goalkeeper, but the next great player might be because they had such a good time. They so they, they were so fulfilled that they want to come back and they want to get more. And if we can get more coaches to understand this idea of infusion of joy, we can chip away at the sad statistic where we're finding many, many youth players, not just in soccer, but youth youth players across the country that are that are quitting youth sports by the time they hit high school. Some statistics as high as 70%. Yeah. So I wanted to jump on that. I apologize for digressing there, but it's such an important component. I'm so glad you brought up this this idea of, of fun. Um, so a couple of things before we kind of wrap this up. A number of years ago, I was very uh, honored to be able to host a, a panel discussion at the NSCAA convention, now United Soccer Coaches, uh, that um, was called, I entitled it, Why the American Goalkeeper? And I supported this presentation with an article that, that was featured in the journal. And it came during a time, Phil, where we were enjoying kind of the heyday, if you will, of, of American goalkeepers, where we saw you know, folks like Casey Keller and Tim Howard, uh, Brad Friedel, Zach, Zach Thornton, just, just to name a few. Um, have we... Have we taken a dip? Um, was is that that era, you know, kind of behind us? Where are we now in terms of the next generation of young goalkeepers? Not just for the men's side, but for the women's side as well. Um, and 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 kind of dovetailing that with the traits of those goalkeepers that I talked about during that heyday, that during that era, um, you know, physically, psychologically, tactically, uh, uh, technically relative to the young and up-and-coming goalkeepers we see now. Share with my audience your thoughts on that. I mean, that, that heyday was, uh, I, I think, I think there's a couple of things that go in correlation here. Um, and, and it's one, one of them is at that time when you had all those goalkeepers, and you touched on a few. I mean, it, we, we leave out Marcus Hanneman and we leave out um, Brad Guzan, and now we, you've got goalkeepers. Goalkeepers, you know, you've got uh, female goalkeepers going across and playing in England, um, and 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 there's a real, there's a real, real, real realization that goalkeepers can go across, both male and female, and, and play in different parts of the world. Um, but looking at the pool, that let's 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 term it a pool of goalkeepers that we have to choose from now. I think honestly. And this is gonna gonna hit some alarm bells. It goes hand in hand with the state of goalkeeping education. At the time that these goalkeepers were playing in Europe, their their upbringing uh, and their development came through a lot of goalkeeping education. The people that were working with them uh, were working with sort of working within a framework they had gone through goal, formal goalkeeping education 
So they were, we sort of had a progression in our goalkeeping education and we saw a progression in our goalkeeping. So uh, again, when you look, when you look at, I, I was fortunate enough to work with the men's national team during the 2006 World Cup phase. Um, our number one was Casey Keller. Number two was Brad Friedel. Number three was um, Marcus Hanneman. Uh, and, and then you had, they all three of those were playing in Europe, by the way. Um, and then you had the MLS goalkeepers in behind that. Um, so there was a large pool of goalkeepers. Um, working with the women, you know, you had Hope Solo, Brian Scurry. You know, uh, now you've got uh, Alyssa Nair and uh, Ashlyn Harris and Jane Campbell um, and, and Aubrey Bledsoe. You've got, you've got uh, I feel like the environments now, now are such that the, the goalkeepers at this point in time don't get the right coaching early on. So we're always trying to play catch up. In the heyday, in the heyday, uh, our goalkeeper, and, and I would say, I don't know if you agree, I would say maybe 10 years ago was the heyday of goalkeeping in this country. Um, and, you know, in, in recent, recent history, those goalkeepers had exceptional hand-eye coordination. And that was something that was always said about the American goalkeeper, because that's the nature of American sports. And all of these, all of these goalkeepers played different sports and did different things. If you ever saw Tim Howard play basketball when he was in his uh, 20s and early 30s, he was phenomenal at basketball. So his hand-eye coordination, his jumping ability, all those things, his ability to control his body, lend themselves perfectly to being a high-level goalkeeper. So not only, and this brings in something else, do, do we specialize up with our goalkeepers too early and not give them and put too much pressure on too early and not give them a multi-sport education? Well, that opens up, you know, another conversation for another day, uh, this idea about physical literacy. Um, we talk, I'm a former physical education teacher, retired um, 25 years. Um, you know, the idea of kids when they were growing up, you know, going out to quote unquote play and running and jumping and skipping and falling and climbing trees and, and doing all the things that kids do that ultimately create what we now call a physical, physical literacy, which from there we can then build, you know, uh, sp specific sports skills in this case, you know, soccer, a soccer player or, or, or a goalkeeper. Uh, indeed, I, I think you're, you're spot on in terms of, you know, the, that era, uh, that heyday of, of folks who were good athletes. Tony Miola, I think, was drafted by the New York Yankees. You know, so we, we had athletes back then who, and I'm not sure I'm going to take a, just an educated guess that, you know, their physical literacy uh, was indeed developed at, at the youngest of ages. And, and as you as you very well aware now, that that's, that, that's changed so dramatic uh, to the detriment of the development of players. I mean, kids don't, they don't go out and play. Um, you know, video games, all the things that, that we now know that, that, that are, are, serve as a disservice uh, to young athletes in terms of developing that, that phys physical literacy, that idea that, you know, to be able to run, jump, skip, fall, climb trees, and all, all, all that type of stuff. Um, but, so but now you see, but one thing you see now, though, is uh, this has been identified, and now you see uh, from a goalkeeping point of view and goalkeepers, uh, goalkeeper coaches' point of view, you're seeing more goalkeeper coaches do warm-ups that employ different skills. So the spike ball, spike ball, uh, tag. Like think about the, all the kids that used to run around on a playground and, and play tag. 
um, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, now, now we're seeing those types of um, sm smaller versions of those types of games coming back into our goalkeeper training because we're recognizing that just doing goalkeeper movements doesn't necessarily develop the, the holistic goalkeeper. Well, indeed, as you very well know, that the modern soccer goalkeepers it has to be athletic. It's arguably, arguably the most athletic position on the field. When you consider the demands of the position, the, the types of um, athletic movements that are required to be, at the very minimum, an effective goalkeeper, you have to have a degree of athleticism to perform said, uh, you know, uh, said movements, if you will. Uh, and if you're deprived of that at an early age, you know, that's... that. Not always, not always, but that's going to deprive, uh, you know, the, uh, the developmental, not deprive, but, but stifle the, the developmental curve, if you will. Um, I want to touch upon, Phil, I, I put you on hold a little while ago um, about licensure and certifications. You've touched upon it here. Let's mm -hmm. dive a little more specific into this area here. Um, should, and I'm going to talk about this, ask you in general terms, should licensure certifications be mandated? Uh, in general, for soccer coaches across the country, should they be mandated for, at the very minimum, our goalkeeper coaches? And secondarily, Phil, what are the appropriate pathways for our coaches to, uh, at, at the very minimum, become proficient at the training and development of goalkeepers? Uh, we, we could have spent uh, an hour <laughs> just on that, to be honest. Well, it's Phil, I'm going to have to come back. You're going to have to come back. <laughs> <laughs> It's something that I'm really passionate about. Um, again, as I said, my mentor, Peter Meller, when he worked for U.S. Soccer, he sort of led the goalkeeping education department. Um, and, and we, we, with the help of others, constructed the National Goalkeeper License. Um, the NCAA, the NSCAA at the time, uh, had, had its diplomas and, and, and Peter actually linked uh, with Tony Waiters, the uh, NSCA level one to to U.S. soccer, so you know it wasn't it, it was a countrywide step for a grassroots goalkeeper coach. Um, you know the, uh, the United Soccer Coaches, the, the old NSCAA, has continued. Uh, you know Tony Tony DiCicco implemented um, the the different levels. I think those are those are great stepping stones for goalkeeper coaches. Uh, unfortunately, the the only way to get a license, uh, because the uh, U.S. Soccer Federation is the uh, is the FIFA recognized um, body in this country. Um, the only way to get a license is through U.S. Soccer, but U.S. Soccer does not run any goalkeeping education. And hasn't done since we taught the last goalkeeper, the national goalkeeper license, um, in 2015, January 2015. So, um, as far as formal education, it's very, very difficult for grassroots coaches to to get licenses. We can we can get diplomas through uh, United Soccer Coaches and some education. Is better than no education. So I, I would encourage people to, to uh, find out when the state level courses and and club level courses are, are held, because you have the opportunity to at least learn about techniques and, and basic tactics. Um, 
Uh, so should should there be licenses? Should it be? Go ahead, sorry. No, no, no. Finish your thought, please. Uh, you, you'd ask, should there be? Uh, should it be mandated? Um, it can only be mandated if we know what we're looking for. And what I mean by that is, what is the profile of the goalkeepers that is being um, that has been described at every age level? What are the, the characteristics of those goalkeepers? What are the actions that we're asking them to perform as seen through the eyes of um, the, the governing body within the country? So, for example, England has that. England, uh, Tim Dittmer is the head of the English FA goalkeeping. Um, he run, you know, he's, he's identified a goalkeeping DNA and they base everything they do in their goalkeeping education off of this profile and the DNA of a goalkeeper. In this country, we don't have any of that, which, uh, which is a travesty. Um, you know, Peter Miller did so much work to to produce uh, a goalkeeping education in the country. Uh, I, you know, and I've personally asked the question on countless numbers of occasions, um, but it, it's not a priority for for the governing body. It's not a priority. And you're actually seeing now, and you asked the question before, and this is why it goes hand in hand, it's not a priority and hasn't been since 2015. And if you look at 2015 onwards, since that time, we've said, well, who's going to be the next national team goalkeeper? Tim Howard's retired after uh, after the World Cup in 16. Who's going to be the, the goalkeeper? Zach Steffen? Uh, and, and who from there? We're looking at Ashlyn Harris, Alyssa Nair, and Aubrey Bledsoe, and we're looking and saying, okay, well, well, who's the next crop? Who's going to be the next one? So I don't think it's a, I don't think it's, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not a coincidence that th these two things go hand in hand. So I do think that it's great to receive some sort of goalkeeping education. I think it's fantastic. United Soccer Coaches has various levels of goalkeeping education. Um, they are diplomas, though, not, not licenses. So it doesn't necessarily carry the same bravado, if you like. It's not going to, not necessarily going to open a door for you, whereas a license probably would. That's why a lot of goalkeeper coaches now, if they have the credentials, get across to Europe and do the UEFA licensing. Is it safe to say then, Phil, by association, the mechanisms by which U.S. soccer identifies potential high-level goalkeepers, is that, does that, that even exist? In other words, is there a system in place for scouting? Is there a, is there a formal network? Is there, is there someone who is in charge uh, or, or a division in charge of, of scouring the United States of America looking for the next, you know, uh, Tim Howard or Brad Guzan or, or Zach Steffen? Or as is that just part and parcel of the of the lack of emphasis relative to licensure? Uh, I think it, uh, I know that, and obviously we're we're in very trying times right now with COVID and everything. So so it's very difficult for us to uh, get out and watch games, and it's difficult for us to even play games. So um, I know that there are scouts, but are there goalkeeping specific scouts? No. Isn't that astonishing? Uh, I mean, I, 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 I knew the answer to all this, but I, I wanted to hear you say, it. I'm astonished by that. I, I'm just astonished yeah. by that. 
I was lucky enough to be in England two years ago and, and I was asked to be part of a goalkeeping ID weekend for the English FA. Um, and it was a huge, huge honor for me to be there. They had, at that time, there were five full-time goalkeeper coaches for, for the English FA and they had three part-time and then they had, on top of that, specific goalkeeper scouts in different regions. We have in this, and that's that's in England, which is what the size of New Jersey, roughly, um, or maybe a little bit bigger. Um, in this country, we have a full-time men's national team coach and a full-time women's national team coach, and that is it. And they are not responsible for goalkeeping education at all. Again, so uh, yeah, mind mind-boggling. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you and I are we're, we're goalkeeping guys. Uh, and you could make a case that arguably, not to, not to diminish the importance of any other player on the field, but you could make an argument that, that the most important person on the field is is indeed the goalkeeper. We all know it's cliche, but they make and break games. So for that very fundamental reason alone, and I don't think it's an oversimplification, you would think that our governing body would take a more comprehensive approach relative to the education of our coaches and then by association, the mechanisms by which we can go out and identify these, these goalkeepers. I find it astonishing. So, Phil. I told you it was dangerous to open this box. I told you it was dangerous. Oh, hey, listen, it, listen, it's no fun if you're not going to get into dangerous stuff here, Phil. I mean, come on. You know, you got to touch the third rail every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, so here yeah. we are. Um, the final question, uh, you know, as the GP Soccer Podcast dedicating season four here to the state of the game. Here's the million dollar question. So, Phil Wedden, what is the state of the game here in the United States as it relates to American goalkeeping? And I know that's a big question, but what are your thoughts? I think, honestly, uh, you know, I, I, I'm lucky enough right now to work in the MLS. Uh, the MLS seems to be uh, trending towards uh, the way that the Premier League has gone, and that means bringing in more foreign goalkeepers. Um, so, so that that's a concern. Uh, and again, I, I feel like uh, uh, the the academy system in, in America is, is starting to produce some some very good young goalkeepers because they're getting coaching on a regular basis. And those goalkeeper coaches uh, in the academies have such critical jobs um, to to try and develop these young young players to be uh, the future of the game. Um, we, you know, and that's both in the, in the men's game and the women's game. We're starting to see more and more uh, younger goalkeepers coming through. Um, but when it gets to a certain level, uh, as it does in different parts of the world, uh, this is where money comes in and you buy the best goalkeepers. Um, the NWSL does a fantastic job of, of, um, housing most most American goalkeepers in, in the women's game. You know there are there are a few that go across overseas and play, um, but most of the goalkeepers in the NWSL. Uh, you know, so on the women's side, I feel like we're producing more goalkeepers than perhaps we are in the men's side of the game um, at at the moment. So I'm I'm encouraged. Um, but if we could have some of the stepping stones in place as it regards to, as it pertains to coaching education and a goalkeeping DNA and, and, a, and a profile of a goalkeeper that we're looking to build upon, um, 
I feel like we could really set ourselves apart from from other countries. Uh, I mean, just but just by sheer numbers in America, we must have we must have players out there that could play at the highest level as goalkeepers in their future. But just but just by numbers. Um, so the identification process has to be more thorough. We have to employ more people to do that. Um, the coaching process, we should, we should have full-time goalkeeper coaches at every age group uh, for, for our national teams. Um, we should have full-time coaches at every age group for our national teams so, so that um, we, we're sending a consistent message. There should be a consistent theme both through the United Soccer Coaches and the U.S. Soccer Federation as it pertains to the development of goalkeepers. Um, and what do our goalkeeper coaches look like? What are the sessions that we're doing? Are we still doing forward rolls and somersaults and, and diving over and around things? I mean, we're still doing that. We still have people out there doing that when it doesn't relate whatsoever to the goalkeeping position. And actually, in this day and age, is a liability. Years ago, it wasn't seen that way. Nowadays, it is. So... Um, we have to educate our goalkeeper coaches. We have to continually develop and consistently develop with a, with direction, develop goalkeepers, um, for, for our country. So uh, again, just by sheer numbers, there has to be someone out there, um, both on the men's side and the women's side. And I would say not even just one, there has to be four or five, uh, goalkeepers out there that, or players out there that can be, um, developed into being the next uh the next hope solo or the next tim howard or 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 globally even bigger well um i can think of no one better to have discussed goalkeeping here in the united states of america than phil wedden uh phil i want to thank you very much uh for contributing to the gp soccer podcast a theme of the state of the game, your insight, your experiences, our conversation has, has uh, proven uh, extraordinary relative to the broader discussion of the game here in the United States. So I want to thank you for spending some time with me today. Uh, and I do hope you'll come back on if anything uh, uh, significant comes uh, comes about. Feel free to get back to me. So thanks very much for being a part of the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, and and I, like I said, I'm, I'm sorry that I got on the soapbox a couple of times. Um, but again, for all, the, for all the goalkeeper coaches and coaches out there, uh, we need to uh, develop the passion for the position. We need to develop the fun environment for our young goalkeepers um, and how we, how we react as coaches to these goalkeepers when, when, when they're not successful is massively important. So please bear that in mind and the impact we can have on our, on our young players. So indeed, getting on a soapbox oftentimes is, is what's necessary sometimes to, uh, you know, to open up discussions and open people's, uh, open people's eyes relative to, to the issues of the day. So A-OK getting on a soapbox. God knows I've gotten on my fair, show, fair share of soapbox, soapboxes and sometimes have fallen off and sometimes I've stayed on. But um, in any event, our guest today was Phil Wedden, uh, the goalkeeper coach and director of goalkeeping for the Philadelphia Union, as well as the owner and director of, of Goalkeeper One as well as the International Goalkeeper Coaches Conference. We're going to break for a couple of commercials, and on the other side, we'll get back together for further discussion uh, on goalkeeping. My name is Giovanni Pacini. This is the GP Soccer Podcast. Don't go anywhere, because if you do, I will hunt you down. 
there is an outstanding program that has impacted the lives of over 1,000 Rhode Island middle school youth, providing academic enrichment and using soccer as an incentive towards increased academic performance and an overall support for success. Project Goal is a 100% free co-educational program designed to inspire academic success through the reward of soccer. Project Goal students are afforded targeted academic enrichment with accredited teachers and earn an equal amount of time in soccer training with licensed coaches. All this in an environment that fosters academic and social accountability with the aim of developing educated and compassionate students. Project Goal has maintained a steady high school graduation rate of 96%, with 90% going off to college. Supported by the FIFA Foundation for the past 12 years, Project Goal is the model for reaching into our ethnic communities and providing high-quality educational and athletic opportunities. To learn more, visit Project Goal at projectgoal.org. The DiBernardo School of Soccer is the only online cognitive soccer diploma course offered in the world. Coach Marcus DiBernardo is one of the leading experts on cognitive soccer and player development, has been a consultant to MLS teams, European professional clubs, and served as the cognitive soccer expert for the European soccer publication, Trainers Magazine. Be sure to check out Coach DiBernardo's work on his YouTube channel, The DiBernardo Soccer Methodology, and on Instagram under Marcus DiBernardo. For further information, visit the DiBernardo School of Soccer.com. This is Eric Eisenhut of GK Icon Academies USA, and you are listening to the GP Soccer Podcast featuring host, coach, and good friend Giovanni Pacini. Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to the GP Soccer Podcast. I'm your host, Giovanni Pacini. I certainly hope you enjoyed that conversation I had with Phil Wedden. Goodness knows, I, I had a great time uh, talking all about goalkeeping with him. Um, and as you all know, I, I call these uh, podcasts uh, mini coaching education courses. And indeed, I think this qualifies as a mini coaching education course when it comes to the area of goalkeeping. So many thanks to Phil for contributing to the conversation, contributing to uh, the theme of the GP Soccer Podcast, that being the state of the game. Uh, and I welcome him back uh, you know, for, for future conversations. So I want to, you know, keep this uh, discussion uh, relative to goalkeeping, goalkeeping uh, going here, uh, and I want to kind of tackle a couple couple of areas here for my listening audience. Um, and the first area, Phil and I kind of touched upon it. We talked about licensure or certification on uh, coaching education when it comes to the training and development of goalkeeping. Um, if you are a youth coach or a club coach, and you know you're you're coaching teams that now include the goalkeeper. Right, um, then it is it is probably mandatory, you know, mandatory um, that you do take the necessary steps to get educated on how to train and develop the goalkeeper on your team. Um, you do that person, that young player, a disservice by, uh, you know, at the end of a training session, just lining the team up, team up, and you know, taking shots on the goalkeeper, or you know, doing something that's that's rather rudimentary or doesn't fit the profile of you know things that actually happen in a game. Um, and as Phil and I talked about through United Soccer Coaches in particular, uh, there is a, a wide variety of opportunities for you to do just that. Um, 
And when you do that, you become uh, all the more empowered to do a better job to train and develop your goalkeeper. Um, so that's, that, that's not, for me, it's, it's a no-brainer. You know, it's a no-brainer. Uh, you know, goalkeeping for a lot of folks, and it's understandable, it's kind of a scary thing. Well, I wasn't a goalkeeper. Uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't know all that much about it. Well, all the more reason why you take the appropriate steps to, to get educated. Um, you know, going online is another mechanism by which you can go out and get some information. You can get some ideas on how to train and develop goalkeepers. But, you know, that's kind of a, that can be kind of a, a, a crazy place to go because, you know, I, I do, because it's what I do in terms of, you know, as a coach educator uh, in the area of goalkeeping and in, in, in my own realm as a goalkeeper coach, you know, you go online, you kind of poke around and see what's out there. Um, there are, there's a lot of content out there, and I'm putting big air quotes. You can't see it, but big air quotes around the, the word content out there that, you know, can be flat out crazy, can be flat out inappropriate. I, I've seen videos, and I, I'm sure you have as well. You, you Goalkeeper coaches, again, big air quotes there, who got goalkeepers, you know, jumping over things and rolling around and rolling under strings and uh, all kinds of creative, again, air quotes, um, you know, mechanisms that in their minds they think they're training or developing the goalkeeper when they're really not. They're really not. They're, they're, a, little, they're, they're a little out there, a little crazy. Um, you know, Phil and I touched upon this, you know, goalkeeper training development should be specific to the situations that a goalkeeper faces in a game, those real scenarios. And then you replicate training sessions in order to assist the goalkeeper to, to ultimately deal with those things. And, you know, diving under a rope or, you know, doing forward rolls or, you know, backflips or whatever, whatever, uh, really aren't germane to the realities of what goalkeepers deal with in a real game. So be sure that you follow the appropriate path in terms of your own uh, development. Um, that being, you know, you take a coaching education course. Take a take a coaching education course. Again, United Soccer Coaches got uh, has got uh, quite a few that um, you know uh, is available to you. Um, the second thing I'd like to address, and it's really important. I think it's all the more reason why taking a, a coaching education course in goalkeeper is even more important. That's the idea of integrating the goalkeeper in a team training session. And this is a valuable tool for the majority of coaches, I think, that are out there. There are very few youth soccer uh, teams or club teams that have their own goalkeeper coach. Uh, there are high school teams uh, that, that may not have their own goalkeeper coach. And you may say, well, I don't have a goalkeeper coach, so you know, we'll, we'll take some shots on the goalkeeper at the end of training session. And as I now noted earlier, that, that's not appropriate. But there are ways by which you can integrate the goalkeeper in a team training session without compromising the integrity of the topic that you're trying to present and yet still give the goalkeeper a lot of touches, a lot of experiences, a lot of things that are, that are specific to the goalkeeper. Um, I just did a presentation not too long ago, a Zoom presentation on this very issue, um, where I, 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 I put together a, a grassroots passing and receiving a training session. And I showed how, you know, you can, you can integrate the goalkeeper in this one. This is real easy because the goalkeeper now, as we all know, is a soccer player first who happens to be the goalkeeper. And we now know our goalkeeper, the modern goalkeepers are, you know, have got to be really good with their feet. They have to be really good soccer players. Um, you know, we see changing points of attack, which goes through the goalkeeper. We see the, uh, you know, players laying the ball back to a goalkeeper uh, to relieve pressure so the goalkeeper can then kind of knock it upfield. Um, we see goalkeepers who are, you know, playing a little bit higher out of the goal when their team has possession of the ball, so they can be, in, uh, you know, uh, uh, provide an opportunity to maybe play the ball back to the goalkeeper. 
in essence, giving you 11 field players, right? So it's really, really important that, you know, they'd be good soccer players. So I, I put together this, this training session, this passing and receiving for the field players, but showed how, heck, we, we can get the goalkeeper involved in this um, in an area that's very specific, to, you know, to the goalkeeper. Um, so don't think, you know, just because you don't have a goalkeeper coach, that you can't find ways to integrate the goalkeeper in your sessions to give them some worthwhile training and, and development. And development. Uh, and again, I circle back. I beat this dead horse, and I apologize. Uh, you know, coaching education is arguably the the, the best way. Um, you know, to uh, to learn about to learn about um, that type of methodology. So those are the two areas I really wanted to tackle. I think there were two very important areas uh, to kind of emphasize or reemphasize. Um, so again, many thanks to Phil Wedden. It's, uh, this has been such an important conversation uh, relative to the position of goalkeeping uh, here in the United States. So that's what we have today, folks. As I like to say, and you know this, if you like what you heard today, and I think you did, I really think you did, tell everyone, please. If you didn't, tell everyone anyway. If you'd like to advertise on the GP Soccer Podcast, you can certainly contact me, Giovanni Pacini, at GP4Soccer. That's the number four at yahoo.com or at 617-968-1800. This is Giovanni Pacini of the GP Soccer Podcast, making saves, tripping over his words, and I'll catch you later.